You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's time for another episode of Restore the Floor, your Detroit Pistons slash NBA podcast with Evan Jenkins. I am Michael Stephen Stone, and... uh, Steven, huh? That's I had my no little, idea. Had no idea. Right. Absolutely. So, um, Pistons just keep on doing what they're doing. Whatever. Just yeah. keep doing what you're doing and let's get to the draft. Right? <laughs> I know. I can't wait to the lottery. You know, it's weird. I'm sure I'll say this again. This lottery, if you, if we believe that, you know, Lemignon is the real deal, although I hear people say, well, now he's getting taller. It might be hard, you know. Could be tough. I mean, I, I don't know if I even want to watch the lottery. There'd be so much angst. Yeah, just let me know it at the end. You know, <laughs> let's let's go golf or something that day, and oh. we'll totally forget about it. Yeah, I'll, I'll DVR it so I can see the reactions and things like that. But I'd be if if they were, you know, I think the worst they can do probably is going to be four. If yeah, I'm whatever. Not There's some good players. So yes, there let's are. just get there. Yes, and uh, when they'll have some young players, and one of the guys who's going to help develop those young players is. Uh, John Beeline. Uh, John is the uh, senior player development advisor for the Detroit Pistons. You know, he had his, you know, he left Michigan f- for a variety of reasons. Nothing I made think. me smile more. Yeah, I know, because he's a damn good coach. Uh, and the other thing is he, I, I, I think he won't never admit it, but the whole landscape of college basketball changed. And what the hell? Somebody offers you a lot of money to try at the highest level. Why not give it a go? Yeah, it didn't work out for him. But, no. I mean, he's a great basketball mind yes. that will pretty much, from everything I've ever seen, I've never talked to him before we get to talk to him today. Yes. And he's always seemed to shoot it pretty straight and not sugarcoat anything and just looks at it from a basketball perspective. He doesn't get caught up in the minutia of right. everything that surrounds the game. He cares about what happens between those lines. Yes, so uh, – Today's episode is uh, with John Beeline, uh, the senior player development advisor of your Detroit Pistons. We are very happy to be joined today by a guy who everybody loves around here. Uh, He's now the senior player development advisor for the Detroit Pistons, works with a lot of young guys, but uh, we know him as the former head coach, the University of Michigan, among other places. He is John Beeline. How are you? Good, Sony. How are you? I'm doing, doing good. I got uh, Evan Jenkins here as well, and yes. e- Evan's a little upset because he's a huge Michigan <laughs> State fan. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I was rooting for the Spartans as as well. And I know you didn't see all the game, but oh man, that that, that, that kid Noel was unbelievable. And then Michigan State played pretty good too. Yeah. If you would ever tell me that Michigan State would score ninety and lose, I would say that is impossible. It's not going to happen, and and it happened. It's just that's that's what the beauty of this time of the season is. But um, it, you know, you, you usually end with a loss. I mean, there's only one team that's going to end with a win, and it, it's just it's devastating for everybody when you get that far. You work so hard, and the fan base too. But um, Michigan State had a great year. They really had a great year. I got to see them play when they played Michigan. And I didn't think they were as talented as some of his teams, but I thought they're, they're, they had great talent as a team. Uh, they know who they knew knew how to play, and they were very unselfish. So 
great season for them. Now, I'm excited to be able to talk to a coach here because I have something that I needed to know from a coach's perspective. A big debate around this area, if you're up three points with under 10 seconds to go and you're on defense, as a coach, are you fouling or do you let it play out? What you said in that under 10 seconds is a huge area. You 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 foul now with nine seconds or eight seconds. Uh, yeah, you got you, you foul. They make the two. Now you got to go to the foul line, and you, what if your guy misses? And now there's you foul him. There's six seconds to go, and the guy can go down and win the game. Right. So generally, there's you're gonna think I'm crazy because you get the four or five seconds while I'm fouling. And not is he gonna shoot when I'm trying to foul? So it's. The, the stats have said there's no difference in probability in any studies that we did. To go, go with whatever you do, do it well, coach your team through it. We did not foul. I'll say that as a caveat. We played it out. And you'll never hear about the literally of 1,300 games, probably 50 to 100 we won because we didn't foul. But there may be couples that we lost because we didn't foul. There might be more. I don't, I don't know. But the, that, the whole idea is it is more, it's harder than you would think to foul when a guy's not shooting. Not, like you said, you don't want to foul with nine seconds to go, eight seconds to go. And so that's, that's where it comes. Now, I will say this, Tony. There are a couple of times people fouled us. Mm-hmm. And, they, I, and I would say, oh, man, we're done. How are we going to win? How are we going to win? But, you know, my, my teams were never great rebounding teams. So I was worried about them missing the shot and getting the rebound and beating us. So we just didn't do it. I think it worked pretty well, but we lost a few on it. We lost a few. Final thing uh, before we get to the Pistons, with the March Madness, the tournament going on, how much uh, do you miss this stuff? The, the, the Mar- I have trouble in March. I don't have trouble in a lot of the rest of the season, but as you know, I was blessed to coach at some great places, and we had real- marches. I have a big family, Stoney, and that's the resounding thing. In, it live, they all live, most of them live in the north, and they say, March, we didn't know how bad the weather was because we were so amped up watching your teams play, we didn't notice it. And now uh, March can be a long month without it. So I, I miss a lot uh, about college basketball, but at the same time, I embrace the incredible um, good fortune that I had along the way. For those who, who don't know, what exactly, I, I said before we started, the title was Senior Player uh, Development Advisor. What exactly is your day-to-day uh, responsibilities with these, especially the young guys on this team? Well, it, it's really two different jobs. It's senior advisor to the head coach. So I watch all our games. I watch all our practices. And I take notes and send them to Coach Casey, or he and I just meet and talk for minutes about some things that I see trends that I see. Then I try to mentor the coaches as well. You know, just a, you know, I like how you, I like what you said to that, that young man, but how did you deliver it? How can you deliver it better and try to create that culture, you know, within our, within our team. And then I direct the player development. In other words, at coaches, um, in coaches preferences, the front office preference, we're trying to develop the players, in the way we want them developed to fit, our, our, you know, who we are, the, the modern NBA, all these things. So uh, I'm out on the court a little bit with them, but I'm more observing and then suggest making suggestions or learning. Lifetime learner. I'm learning every day, too. 
Now, a big piece that's going to be coming back to the Detroit Pistons next year, maybe the biggest piece, is Cade Cunningham. And I keep trying to warn people that, you know, Cade is still a young player. Cade has yet to play a complete NBA season if you look at all of his games together. Now, when looking at trying to progress a young man like that that's coming off of an injury, where do you start with him? Like, is it first get your legs back, your wind back, and then get into basketball mode? I'm just so curious from the outside looking in when you have such a special player like that that has had to battle an injury and miss crucial time playing. But where do you start with him on his rehab back coming to the Pistons? Well, I think that it's pretty easy for us actually right now because his mobility is limited while he rehabs. There is one thing that he can do is uh, for a while is just shoot, but without jumping. And then, you know, shoot a little bit more with, with some jumps, but we moderate the, we, uh, moderate the number of jumps he takes a day. But it's been it, – what you try and do in these situations is make, make a positive out of it. Listen, you, you would never have this time again – to just work at your your shooting form, uh, your follow through, the backspin on the ball, you know, your shooting pocket, all these things. This is the time we can do it. So it's given us that time to do it. And then once he, while he also builds his body up in the weight room to be basketball efficient, we're not trying to make him a linebacker, just mm. trying to make him as efficient as he can be, as strong as he can be to be a guy that really can play a lot of positions out there. And, and so it's, it's really been good for him to sit back, watch the team, and just now uh, improve in those little areas until he can really get active again about what you suggested, getting his win, playing again. Uh, that will come in due time. How would you assess the development of some of the big guys, especially Duren and, and Wiseman? Well, I, I, they're so young. I mean, seriously, I, I think some – Duncan Robinson was 23 when he uh, when he graduated for us uh, at Michigan, and these guys are are 20, uh, yeah, 20 and 21, and so they're just learning and they got great attitudes. So when they have those two things and they have obvious skills, um, it's it's this not a blank canvas. There's some pretty good colors already in there, but now we just got to continue to paint that that picture of what it's going to look like. The the old clay model that you talk about too, where they're just trying to form them what's best for them. And I, yeah, I think the progress has been, has been tremendous. Injuries have, have, have plagued us at a couple of different times, but um, we do get so, so much valuable time with them while, while they're playing now as you know, as, as rookies are really James, this is really only James second year playing um, because he was injured most of his, of his second year. You mentioned something a couple moments ago that I found really interesting when talking about mentoring the coaches and how they delivered their message to a certain player. How difficult is that in today's day and age to be able to deliver that message? Like, for instance, like Tom Izzo would deliver a message differently than you would when you were coaching. How how do you differentiate like between yeah. players, what they can handle and what they can't handle when talking to them about that? Well, the first thing they do is you build a relationship with them so that they get to trust you. And, and if you're just going to go out there and walk out there and just say, well, do it because I said so, that's not going to work. It's probably not working even in college. It, it, it's, it's something that developed this relationship. And then through that, it, instead of the old days, you use influence over power instead of power 
to get people to do things. That you 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 work with them. You, your your delivery, how your patience is outstanding, and then the data doesn't lie when you you see our young man's having trouble in a certain area, and you say, okay, you're shooting this percentage in th these areas. Um, you know, th that's why we're working at it or your turnover percentage or things like this. You show them, here's what the, here's what the, the, the guards at your position are doing. Here's what the forwards are your position. And now you use influence that is not, it's coming from you, but it's proven from others what analysts has told us. And there's a, there's a buy-in like that once you, but the relationship with them is everything. So that's the number one thing I do is, is when we're, uh, when, when we're developing a strategy is build a relationship, build a relationship with your player uh, as you coach him so that you really, he, can, he trusts you and that he knows you have his best interests in heart. You mentioned the A word, analytics. Do you like analytics? Are we too analytic driven rather than just, you know, let guys play? And sometimes the analytics, you know, they're, they're so obvious. Good players have good analytics. Yeah, yeah. The, um, you know, I'm a big baseball guy, Stoney. Yeah, I, I listen know. to your show, so I know you are too. And, yeah, sometimes it's crazy because it can be, in, like in baseball, we're talking about the spin rate and the four-seamer versus the two-seamer. I'm still trying to figure out how somebody – a uh, thousand feet from that so can pick that up. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, we, we do that. And yeah, there's certain, there's certain things analytically that are proven now and you must pay attention to them. But let's say you have a player that like the mid range jump shot is one that's not encouraged in most situations. One-on-one -on -one, I'm one-on-one. -on -one, there's no rebounding leverage. I'm just going to shoot. I'm just going to shoot this one analytically for 90% of the players, 90, that's, that's not a good team shot. However, there are some players that that's what they've done their whole life, and they're good at it. And so their scoring percentage is maybe a 1.5 off it, which means, you know, they score 1.5 per possession, which would be if they did it all day long, they'd score 150 points. <laughs> and their, their team would score 150 points. Yeah. So you say that's good. But then you see, hey, you're 0.9 in this. That means your team's going to score 90 and you're going to lose every game. So you have to pay attention to that, but there are some outliers to it without question. And that's the sign of good coaches when they know who the outliers are and then be fair with your old team. You, you don't treat, you remember John Wooden statement? I treat, I treat, every, I don't treat everybody the same. I treat everyone fairly. And I think that's, that's what you have to do as a head coach. We're, we're in year three of Killian Hayes. How's his development? I, I remember at the end of last year, uh, Troy Weaver was on our show, and he said we need him to get Americanized this summer because playing in Europe didn't play a lot of, you know, I don't know if I want to call it street ball, but the physical ball, it's a lot different over there. Has he progressed enough where the fans can sit there and say, okay, the kid's got a chance? The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think there's small victories everywhere right now with Killian. When you watch him, I mean, he's a, he has a chance of a of a double double almost every night he walks out there because he's got incredible vision. He see he and and he he sees the floor and he can make you know a, a, an awful lot of passing plays. So he's third year. Picture him now if he was his third year of college. Right, right. What that what that means in college that he's playing against everybody else's starting point guard, the best of the best everywhere in the country. So it's a growth. It, there's a there's a growth pro, uh, process to this. And we as a coaching staff and they have to have this growth mindset about it and saying, yeah, just look at all the small victories he's making every single day and then just keep working with him so that he finds more. And he continues to value all the, the things that it takes to be a starting point guard in the NBA. That's that's something. Now, when looking at the NBA from like when I first really started loving it in the early 90s, you had a big man dominated game that was played five feet from the basket. Now basketball has trended into a guard heavy oriented. The three pointer is not a bad shot anymore. Like I was taught in high school and all of that has changed. But now, one thing that I'm noticing the Pistons are doing are gathering bigs again. Do you see the NBA trending back towards a big man's league? Or or maybe not going fully that way, but allowing the big man to cook again down on the block? Well, I, I think that, that we go back to analytics. But you're even going, it was not even just a big man league. It was a double big man league. The four and the five. We're both block players. If you mm-hmm. look at the yeah. heyday of the Patrick Ewing, Charles Oakley type of game uh, that was both on both blocks, but with and the three point line came in. I mean, there's there's scores where even when the three point line came in, people took five to ten three point shots a game early in it. Now people would take fifty. But I think analytically, be or analytically and success rate would be hard to to go back to that. But doesn't mean you can't play with multiple bigs as long as they they develop the skill level you need to do to play that way because the length the, the length of players you just there's something you can control a little bit and everybody you know the teams that we play sometimes i mean they got six ten guys that it's not guard orientated i would argue with that it's it's like perimeter orientated because you see so many guys between six seven and six ten that are making plays on the perimeter all day long. And so it's, it's, it's what it's become, and three is more than two. And um, I don't see it going back that way, but I do see you have to prioritize size in your lineup because um, it, it, shot blocking, defense, uh, uh, even offense, a, a big player can see over a ball screen better than a small player can. So uh, I don't see it going back to – to those old days of Patrick Ewing, I don't think. But if you have a good post player who can who can score at you know one point five in the in the in the post, once again do the math. That that will work. 
Now, I guess just a follow-up to that. Now, if you have a big on your team, when I say big, I'm saying 6'11", 7 foot, that normally doesn't shoot a three, but he sees the trends going on. As a player development guy, are you there to tell him maybe that's not your shot, or are you there to help him develop that shot to improve his game? Yeah. I, I think that the, the the time is a friend of truth in that. And as when he comes in, you can't tell a 19-year-old you're never going to shoot threes. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have you have to you have to develop it and get him to the point where he trusts it, you trust it, the coaching staff trusts it in games, and then you let him roll with it. But it, when you could spread the floor with a shooting big, right? It it changes it changes the dynamics so much in in, in coverages, and so um, you know. But it it's it's also a game of of, of having um, getting possessions too. So. If you if you don't value those possessions or you turn it over a lot because um, you are you don't have good ball handling bigs and you're trying to get them to just shoot threes, but you just watch how everybody's playing with a five out approach and then they'll, people go into the post but they're more cutters now, uh, backdoor cutters or slot cutters or drives uh, that the ball gets into the paint as opposed to the old days where we just send it in there and say go to work big fella. <laughs> you know, so I to, to, to answer your question that I think everybody deserves that opportunity to learn how to shoot and be better at it um, because they're coming in the league so young. And that was one of my issues that uh, we always wanted shooting bigs at Michigan, but I'd go to AAU games and the, the, the warm up is two minutes and you could, and then they would do nothing but rebound because guards are jacking shots all over the place. <laughs> and you wouldn't know whether Mo Wagner could shoot it, but uh, so you try, you go to their practices and watch them shoot. So, you don't you, you don't know, but in time it will develop. Terry Mills, here's a great one. Terry Mills, the great Michigan player, they, the and the NCAA champion, he never shot threes ever at Michigan ever. Dan Marley never shot threes at Central Michigan, and two and Terry Mills still holds a record. I think it's 16 consecutive threes made over three or four four game span or five game span. So it, that taste can be acquired. Uh, I want to ask you a couple more things before we let you go. Jaden Ivey, some games he looks like, man, he could be rookie of the year. He's going to be an all-star. Other games, it's, well, he's he's young. Does he have what you guys see in development, especially with his shot, because it seems so inconsistent to be a special player in this league? Well, I'm not going to ever go there, Stoney, with special. Okay. But I do say, he, I'll tell you what he is special about. He's got special work habits. And he wants to be a player that is special, and he's got special quickness, uh, and and just a drive to be the best he can be. And if we put all those things together, and his God-given talents, anything can happen. And yeah, uh, but we love we love coaching him every single day. And I want to ask you about you talked about the, the communication from you to the coaching staff to the assistant coaches, young players. I've seen the Pistons are not alone in this. You look at Houston and a few of the other teams at the bottom, young teams, defense is just horrific. How do you teach these guys how to play defense? Is it effort? Is it, what is it? First of all, defense is very different in the NBA and college. That line being out just a couple more feet opens gaps where you can't get back in front of people. People think, you know, you move the line in, and, and people would just live off a three. And really what would do is compress the court and you wouldn't have any room to move. 
in pro basketball because the line is out and everybody can shoot from further out. It's like take a football field and say, okay, we're going to make it a lot wider, but we're going to have the same number of people, people in the game. How are you going to play coverage, you know, in, in, in football when you have bigger space? So it is, it's not say, well, how did he get to the basket? Well, first of all, he's very skilled and the court is wide open. So now, rotations and all these things are are much more important and once again you're rotating on to to Cade Cunningham you the Giannis you're rotating on, on to to Brunson these guys can just eat you up if they get two feet in the paint so if you have good effort and you just think of it if 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 you're playing really well um, and you're at, you're averaging, you're giving up 110 points in, in every game. You're at the top of our league. That it's just hard to stop people. But there's certainly better defensive teams than there are than it, throughout the league than other teams. But they're usually veteran with good size and a shot blocker. Now I I have one more question, and this does involve college, and it's just something that's bothered me for years and years and years watching college basketball. And you know this very well. When Michigan would be at home, they would use a Nike basketball. If you would travel to Nebraska, you would use an Adidas basketball. Now, when you go to the tournament, you use a Wilson basketball. Does that really play a factor into the player's mentality, using a different ball depending on where you are playing? And do you think the college game should just go to one uniform basketball like the NBA? Um, all right, I'll answer all those questions. So, <laughs> you um, everybody will have those different, but we had the rock for a while. And then when we went back to Nike, that was part of the deal to go back to to Nike that we would have on our rack. Wisconsin used to use a molten molten ball or something okay. that you just practice in those two days that we would always have six, six of the balls probably of everybody that we play. And yes, all we practiced with, with, with the two days before you went to play Wisconsin. Or and so or you've played in Adidas school and that's all and that way when they go to the shoot around it's because there is a different feel to every single ball so um, and I think people's affiliations and and their sponsorship would preclude you from saying everybody's using this particular ball so you 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 wouldn't be able to do that okay. so they have to just go back and forth but if if yeah if you always practice with a Nike and you don't have any other basketballs, and all of a sudden you walk in and say, hey, we're playing with this Adidas, that's not, that's not smart coaching. You're going to make sure you're, it feels very comfortable to your guys during the time. And then you go into the tournament, and that's all we got is Wilson's on the, on the rack. And, and so you spend the money once, you take care of the balls, you got, you got enough balls for everything. So the, um, the, the, our guy, we love the Wilson basketball. It was very good to us as well. As you know, the uh, the fan bases here between the two schools, Michigan and Michigan State, it, it can get really, really ugly. I know you're not big on social media or, you know, the talk show banter back and forth. How did you and Izzo, you know, get along so well? And just that for, when you were here versus him, and I don't know what it's like as much now, but the respect that you guys had for each other was almost like, wow, these guys can, you know, they can be friends. Teams can like like each other. Yeah, I, you know, I didn't, I'll admit, until I, I listened to you in the morning, Stoney, on my way in, you know, I didn't realize the craziness that's out there about that. You know, I think I said that to you. I yeah. said, it was last March. I said, man, 
people are really pay attention to what's going on because I wouldn't pay attention to it only because I didn't have the time or things might bother me. So why even look at it? Yes. Right. So Tom and I from day one and now that first three years, they pounded us. I mean, they beat the tar out of us those first three years. But there was something about our relationship from the very beginning that I didn't we don't worry about what others what each other's doing. You know, there, we, if you go into coaching and you just coach one team, your team, and don't get hung up on, well, he's running the score up, you know, or, you know, that he's re- just coach your guys and concentrate on your guys and respect the other team and think, you know, that they're doing the same thing and don't, don't always think, well, you must be cheating because he's got those guys. No, pay attention to your own team. We pay attention to other teams, and we don't coach our own team. So coach your own team. And I think Tom, Tom and I, I believe Tom had the same idea. And that way when we played, and Stoney, you'll hear me say before, just add up all the, the Big Ten wins, in the, even in the NCAA tournament. And Michigan and Michigan State's got a lot of them. And a lot of teams in Wisconsin had a few for a few years. A lot of teams haven't done that either. Or the rivalry of the night. We've, I think we've went to five Final Fours in the last 10 years. Who else has done that? What other two schools have done that, especially in the same state? So I think there's great respect for both programs. From I know for Tom and I was that way. and But we were fiercely competitive, Stoney, fiercely competitive. And and But I think when we walked away at the end, we said, hey, we got – yeah, beat fair and square by a good team and take your head off to them. And and this is the last thing I got to say because, and Stoney knows this about me very, very, very well, that I will look for anything to dislike anybody that wears maize and blue. <laughs> and I kept telling my friends, the reason that I wasn't a fan of yours is because you were so dang likable. You you coached well. <laughs> you never took shots at the other team. And and I wanted, but so I want to thank you for that. It bothered from, you. Yes, it bothered me that you were so... He wanted to hate you, John. He wanted to hate you. That you were so classy in in everything, that there was never a back and forth between the teams. They respected each other on the floor, and I hated that with everything in my body. But I just wanted to say that to you personally, because there was nothing about you that I didn't like, sir, and I appreciate that out of a basketball coach. I am so sorry that that made you mad. (laughs) You won't hear niceness making some... I would have given you something to hate me for now. So well, you did. You, you started beating them. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one thing I'll hold uh, against it, you know, Evan, the one thing I hold against this guy is that he's a St. Louis Cardinal baseball fan. And growing oh, up in Philly, man. I hated the freaking Cardinals and still do. Uh, well, how old were you in 1964, Stoney? How old were you? I, you was five, I was five and a half. All I remember is I was supposed to go to the World Series, and for some reason we didn't. Like losing, <laughs> losing ten in a row, six and a half games up with ten games out, ten games left, and I wasn't going to the World Series anymore. Well, it, my story is that that was the first year I picked the Cardinals as my team because I could listen to my little transistor radio, KMOX, way up on on Lake Ontario, you know, right across from Toronto. The the, the water let, let the radio waves go, and in August they fired Johnny Keane at the end of the year, and I gave up on the team. I said, I'm going to find a new team. But everybody liked the Yankees around me. I didn't want to do that. And then all of a sudden, here we come. And we then now I've been, uh, we win and, and then we beat the Yankees. 
and and Philadelphia Foles. I throw that in one more yeah, time. Yeah, I know. But the but I be, I'm like a nut. I have watched. I have seen every box score or listened to every game for the past uh, what is it would be 60 years. Wow. 60 years. And so I, before I got on today, I checked the exhibition score and I find out oh, we're not playing until six o'clock. I'll tune <laughs> in. I won't tune in because we got a game. That's how nutty I am. But it's sort of my has been a, 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 a relief for me over your hobby, I would say, for years, just to get away from everything and just listen to good old baseball games. Listening, listening yeah. too. I love the radio. Just just don't bring up the Phillies and the Cardinals to your boss, Arn Tellum, because he's a huge, as you know, Phillies fan. Oh, I know. Oh, I, well, he got you. When we had that lead in the ninth inning this past fall, uh, I heard it from him. I, I, <laughs> I heard it when, when that game got, got blown, but. It, it's great. I have great friends in Philly, and we talk often about all these things. So two great baseball franchises. Absolutely. John, thank you very much. We, we, we can't thank you enough, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks for having me on. Have a good day. All right.